1: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey
2: everybody, this is Richard. Happy 2023. I hope your new year brings you great health and prosperity. Uh, Just a quick uh, note before we start this. I did tape this podcast with Tara Stone and Stephen Brunt before the new year. So we taped this uh, close to the end of 2022. It shouldn't be that dated just given... The topics that we talked about, but I did want to give you a heads up that um, this was taped before the new year, and we will have another episode this week, fresh being taped tomorrow. But uh, Tara Sloan, Stephen Brunt were excellent, and uh, and I think you're gonna enjoy that. But just a heads up that it was uh, it was taped in 2022, but on to 2023. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. It's uh, it's Canada week on this podcast. Our uh, our two guests are Canadian, proud Canadians and incredibly talented people. First up, Tara Sloan, who just landed a new gig as the host and digital contributor for the NHL's San Jose Sharks. Part of that, she was the long-running co-host on Roger's Hometown Hockey, which was on Sportsnet in Canada, and uh, very, very significant. Um, program uh, in Canada. Um, Tara and I had a great conversation on many, many different topics. She's a really, really interesting person who's had an interesting life, and uh, and I think you'll appreciate and enjoy that conversation. She is followed by Stephen Brunt, another Canadian, one of Canada's most well-known sports voices. Stephen Brunt, award-winning writer, broadcaster, worked for The Globe and Mail, worked for Roger Sportsnet, author of multiple books, including... Uh, two books that are out now, one on Christine Sinclair, playing the long game, and one with Brian Trottier. Stephen, of course, was my longtime uh, colleague and uh, fellow co-host on Primetime Sports with Bob McCowan. Um, uh, really just a, a thoughtful and brilliant guy, and it uh, was an absolute pleasure to be in uh, the studio with uh, with Bob McCowan and Stephen Bront, especially as a knucklehead American. I, uh, I never... Uh, took that privilege for granted. So Tara Sloan to start, Stephen Brunt to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm very excited to have Tara Sloan, who I once worked with in Canada, although certainly not uh, one-on-one or anything. If I'm correct, she might have been on a couple of the shows I did, but not too much. But she's somebody I really always admired from afar. And again, as I said, she is now a host and digital contributor for the NHL's San Jose Sharks. So if you go on their website, you'll find her work there. Prior to that, for the American audience that doesn't know this, she was the co-host on the long-running Rogers Hometown Hockey Show, which aired on Sportsnet in Canada and was a very, very prominent show for that company for many years. She's got a very interesting background when it comes to sports media She's worked as an actress and as a musician. She's the lead singer of the Juno-nominated band Joy Drop. uh, Tara, I may have to explain what the hell a Juno is to most of the people who listen to this. Um, And I'm pleased to be joined by Tara Sloan from beautiful California. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast, Tara.
3: Hey, thank you for having me. I, I really am honored.
2: Yeah, it's not that big an honor. I'm going to be very blunt with you, Tara. Uh,
3: <laughs> well, let me be honored. Let me have my You'll, thing. Uh, you'll
2: have this moment. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> here's where I want to start. So how does someone from <laughs> Wolfville, Nova Scotia end up as a digital host and podcaster for the San Jose Sharks?
3: Well, and I will add to that, um, that I guess by the time this aired, I will have started uh, on NBC Bay Area Uh, with some sharks coverage as well. So I'm I'm joining their broadcast team for a bunch of games. So that's fun. So kind of rounds everything out for me. Um, you know, it, it's a, a long and winding road, I think as most people experience in their lives and careers, and most people don't have one career anymore. It's, it's not like, you know, our grandparents generation where you graduate and you, then you just do something and then you retire. Um, the, I guess I'll, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. You don't I have mean, to, it's I, a podcast.
2: S- <laughs> keep going. <laughs>
3: um, I grew up a huge hockey fan, you know, in, in Canada, it's almost religious for, for many of us. And I grew up watching hockey night in Canada ritualistic with my dad Saturday nights. It was our thing. And I, I always carried that love for hockey, but certainly never envisioned it as a career path. Um, I mean, you know, I'm I'm 49. You can look it up on the internet. So I guess I don't have to be shy about telling people how old I am. So I didn't see anybody who looked like me on hockey broadcasts. So it certainly just never occurred to me as a, as a path or a career. Mm. Passion. My passion was in music. I studied classical music, um, but also worked at a record store. So I loved rock and roll. And weirdly enough, my first. Um, Foray into the professional world was with a rock band. We were called Joy Drop. We were around in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was a time when record companies were throwing around lots of money and we lucked out. We got a rec- big record deal. Um, the Juno nomination that you uh, spoke about, that's, the, that's Canada's Grammy Awards. Yeah, so we were huge. nominated. Yep. We didn't win, but we were nominated. Um, I had a little bit of a solo career too. I was on a show called Rockstar NXS. Uh, which was on CBS, which was actually not a great experience, and certainly didn't do anything for my musical career, but really opened up the doors to TV. And I would say that that's how the transition to to broadcasting even occurred to me. And when I did get into, uh, you know, in the door in the broadcast world, I started in entertainment, but I I was very purposeful about turning myself towards sports and hockey in general because. was an area of interest for me. Um, And, you know, I I hosted a morning show for a while. I did a bunch of stuff. And then Rogers Hometown Hockey presented itself um, as a really, you know, a pretty new concept in in, uh, NHL broadcasting. It was a traveling show that, you know, instead of focusing in the pregame and the intermissions and the postgame on analysis, uh, the focus was on... Local stories from wherever we were. And, and that really appealed to me. So I threw my hat into the ring and there, there I landed.
2: Well, keep going. And by the way, there's really not a show, the equivalent of that in the United States um, for a major sport uh, where a, a show travels to communities to highlight um, what's happening in that sport in those communities. And that's why um, hometown hockey in Canada was, was very unique uh, mm-hmm. among any kind of programming. So before we get to sort of professionally, um, where you are and what it has been like to obviously work in the American market as a Canadian, I I did want to ask you that you, you said, I think I read this in the interview that you did with Sean Fitzgerald, my colleague at the athletic, you have never lived outside of Canada prior to now, correct? And now, now you're in, um, now you're in California. Um, if nothing else, like. There's got to be culture shock there. Now, by the way, the culture shock may be awesome, but it's still culture shock, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the US. You know, we toured relentlessly down here with my band. Um, But, you know, you're living in a van or a bus or a hotel room. Um, So, you know, it's not like moving to somewhere I had no familiarity with. But I think when you're trying to establish yourself, your home, you know, get a social security number and, um, driver's license and like navigate the healthcare system and deal with Fahrenheit versus Celsius. Like it, it's, it's different. Um, I would say that at a certain point, it also felt politically very different, but I think that, uh, that difference is less. So these days, I think we're, you know, both Canada and the U S are very divided places politically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I think I had opportunities earlier in my career where it might've made sense to like make a more of a go of it in New York city when I was doing music or, you know, stay in LA after I shot Rockstar and excess. Um, but I, I guess there was a certain comfort to living where I came from. And, um, and then, you know, for me, I think the biggest leap now is that I have some currency in Canada, you know. I've, I've pe- yeah. some people know me from Joy Drop. A lot of people know me from Rogers Hometown Hockey, and nobody knows me down here. So that's <laughs> so that's actually really that's an interesting exercise in in humility. Yes. You know, it's like I can't depend on somebody knowing who the hell I am.
2: Welcome to ego management.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a good good thing. I mean, as if it's not enough approaching 50. I I got this.
2: No, exactly. So, all right. So, and uh, the reason when you said what you said before, I smiled is because I am, I have done what you did in the reverse. I had to figure out how to get a social, an SIN card. Yes. I had to figure out how to get (laughs) permanent residency here. I have had to learn Celsius versus Fahrenheit. I have had to navigate things that I never would have expected to navigate, which are not familiar to me. Um, The way this stuff is not familiar to you. Now, again, it has been a very, very brief experience for you in terms of working in the American um, sports media. So I wonder, heading into this, did you have any preconceived notions? Because one of the things, and I imagine—it's a little different for you, I think, because, you know, you you had a lot of success as a musician. You traveled to the U.S., so— it, it was a li- probably different from you, but the people who I have known Canadians who have traveled to the United States to work in sports media have always seen the United States as like the big shiny object that if I m- make it there, like I've quote unquote made it as an American, I have to be honest with you that, that is insane to me. Like to me, <laughs> like if you made it in, if you, if you're on Sportsnet or TSN, like dude, trust me, you have made it. There's not a difference here, mm-hmm. but I have known so many Canadian sports people who, who seem to think like, you know, the ESPNs of the world and places like that, like that's quote unquote making it. So I wonder for you, did you heading into this, did you have any kind of certain identity or notions about what American sports media is?
3: Well, you know, I and I have definitely felt that at times. I mean, particularly in music, I would say um, there was a time where it felt like you had to, you know, have a hit in the U.S. and then you would come back to Canada and they would take you seriously you know, it was, and so it was just, it was like that if you need to go make it in the U S and then you are, you know, you become highly regarded in Canada. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I think I kind of reached the pinnacle of hockey, um, because Canada Absolutely. is, you know, it's a hockey Mecca. And so, you know, this is a little bit different. Um, in terms of you know, obviously now I'm with the Sharks, which is a team, which is also a really different experience, and uh, my broadcasts will be regional broadcasts, so that's also different. It's not national, but I certainly feel like it's no less valuable. I just feel like it's a different experience.
2: How did the um, how did both the Sharks job as well as the um, the NBC affiliate job now that you're about to do? How did those two come about for you?
3: You know, I know people who know people and and luckily the sports world, you know, cross border is is very small. Um, You know, I I mean, I guess I have to be transparent here. My boyfriend played for the Sharks years ago, Um, so he did make the introduction to NBC. Um, But the introduction to the Sharks proper to Jonathan Becker, the president, was actually a, a girlfriend of mine who's a VP with the Sharks. Her name is Netta. She spent many years at MLSE and, you know, then that was like a women in sport, like, oh my God, you have to meet Netta. And so she and I met, she sent an email to Jonathan saying like, you guys are very, very aligned. You have to talk to Tara. I went and talked to him and, and this organization, you know, I, I, I this isn't just about the company Kool-Aid people out there who know what I stand for know that I don't think that every organization in the NHL um, has an awareness and a drive to make hockey inclusive. I actually think that the San Jose Sharks do. And I think they're really focused on growing the game in the right way. And so, yeah, it was just like people who know people and you, uh sorry, I'm sorry, go, I ahead. No, go, say, ahead. Though, go ahead. I was just going to say, though, yeah, on the on the TV side, um, so yeah, I, I mean, my, my boyfriend did make the introduction, um, but I would like to think that without, you know, my level of experience, I, I probably wouldn't have been brought onto the team.
2: Listen, if you're going to have a partner, the better have connections. I mean, what else, you know, like this, it's not a bad thing to have. Um, so you mentioned this before, and this is kind of interesting to me. If you were applying for a Canadian job in sports... You have. I just again let the American audience know this. Tara would have appeared on like a, a program that, if you are a hockey fan, like you would have seen um, running within like the sort of larger hockey night in Canada universe. Like it's impossible to be a hockey watcher and not know who Tara Sloan was. It just sort of to not to stroke her ego here, but that's just the reality of like the situation. But it would be different, Tara, when you're talking to Sharks management and when you're talking to NBC in um you know in in the california uh market so were you i don't know were you nervous at all because like in many ways you're not really a known entity to these guys unless they do a little bit of a google search but even then it's like you know it's the same way like um if you're uh you know selling hit records in germany right or in uh or in finland like that's great but like if i'm a u.s like music label I, might up, I don't know anything right. about you. You're big so in Japan. How was that for you? That's, that's always, yeah, big that's in always Japan. the line in, exactly. in
3: music. Um, right. Luckily, I mean, I, you know, we did have, we were aired a little bit sometimes on the NHL network. So there was an awareness from the broadcast side of, of you know, who I was and, and what I did. Um, but I think, you know, they did their due diligence. And what was really exciting to me is that they were super excited about me. And I kind of like, we, you know, Sean Madison, who's the game producer and Devin Fox, um, who's the, the head of live events. We met for lunch and when I was leaving, I just, or they were leaving. I just had this feeling of like, oh my God, this is a place I could be celebrated, not just tolerated. Like they wanted to bring into their broadcasts what I bring, what I have. They liked it. They didn't, it wasn't just like, Oh God, here comes Tara with her social justice story again. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Right. And so, you know, I think they wanted more, they want more storytelling, you know, they want more sort of general awareness and not just the status quo of hockey. Um, So, yeah, I I just felt like super fortunate.
2: And I think let's face it the reality is when you get to a certain age I think. I mean this should be the case in any age. When you get to a certain age you want to work for a company that like whose values align with yours. Like mm-hmm. you know you know that you like you, you don't want to sell out whatever you believe in for uh additional money, right? Or some kind of status. So I I absolutely understand on that where you're coming from, and by the way, in many ways, again, this is sort of something uh, of praise for you. Um, you are coming from a country which really does hockey at the highest level, yes. and so in that way, you're an asset for the Sharks. Like you're, you know, you're you, this isn't you're not coming from like some 225th market in the United States. Like you're coming from the hockey capital of the world, having worked for one of the NHL rights holders um, at the highest level. So in that sense, I, you know, I, I, this is me saying this, uh, I guess on behalf of the sharks, like to me, you're a coup for, for, to, to, to grab. So that's um, that's TBD.
3: (laughs) It's early days, but yeah. Yeah. You're a potential coup. But I I mean, I, I I think that they value what I bring and, and that in itself feels great.
1: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: All right, let me – I want to get into something that I realize you have to be a little bit diplomatic on this. Um, both of us were employed by Rogers, you much longer than me, 11 years or so. Mine was a little under four, um, and, and I've never actually revealed this before in any kind of uh, forum, whether it's this podcast or The Athletic, but I feel like I'll do it now because I'm going to sort of ask something very similar of you. So I, I knew at a certain point when Bob McCown was bought out and that's the, that's the person who I came up to work with very, very famous sports radio broadcaster in that country. Like the, re- the reality was like, I was at best a 50, 50 shot for them to continue with me. I had a contract so they couldn't, uh, they could have certainly bought, bought, bought mm-hmm. me out, but like, you know, they, they, all, they, to their credit decided to pay me. But once Bob left, I knew that like my days could be numbered. Then the person who hired me, the program director. Got essentially bought out. And I kind of knew like my time was going to be up. Like, you don't need to have a high priced American in your lineup who no longer has any connection to the people who um, he was brought up for. Now, all that said, when the end actually Mm -hmm. came, and to be very, very candid, uh, Rogers upped me for six months after my initial contract and then eventually uh, didn't re-up me. So that's sort of how I found out. And quite frankly, I don't feel like Rogers owed me anything with the exception of, would have been nice to have management sort of maybe tell me what they were thinking as opposed to just jumping on an HR call at the Mm -hmm. end, because I feel like I had worked really hard to at least earn that kind of respect as an Mm -hmm. adult. They, or specifically the person who was my boss, a guy named Dan Tolman, opted not to do that. That's his choice and you know we'll see how that plays out like down the road I get it you know everybody's an adult here but and you mentioned this and I say this sort of long-winded intro here Tara because you mentioned this in the article with Sean Fitzgerald like you also had a sense that like the rumors were possible that hockey hometown hockey could be cancelled but when actually the moment mm-hmm. comes and you find out like it's it's done it's very hard to process and I felt like that myself like the you know I had never been, not re-signed or laid off ever professionally my entire career. And so when I popped onto that ridiculous HR call and, you know, they're reading the script and stuff like that was surreal. I'm not going to lie. Like that end was weird as hell. And it took me a little bit of time to process like, holy shit, like this is real. And I appreciated you expressing that with Sean Fitzgerald because I think in some way, even though you were you were much more well known, even though you had a much longer run at Rogers, I feel like we experienced some of the same feelings.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I, I got shit for it on social media, but I used the term grief because I, I there was. There was a all of a sudden, even though I really did know it was coming, I mean, you know, quite frankly, my conversations in California were happening throughout that year because I mean, of all the COVID casualties you know, in terms of uh, broadcasts, a a traveling roadshow was certainly at the top of the list. Hometown hockey was a very expensive endeavor um, and sponsors sign on. And when you can't guarantee whether you're going to have a stop, you know, I I think that makes things very complicated sales wise and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, our last season, I think we hit 14 out of 25 stops. Like that's not... That's not good enough. And, and certainly the pandemic makes things, you know, it's, I mean, I guess we probably could have gone on, but I I think it's still just an unstable enough world. Um, but for sure, I mean, we kind of found out at the last minute, there was a lot of speculation, which I think, you know, in corporate culture, it's just when you leave people hanging and wondering, it's just, it's awful, right? It's just a, it's, yeah, it's a shitty, exactly. shitty way. Yep um, for things to conclude. And if you feel like you have, you know, those, those relationships you have internally that used to be straightforward aren't anymore. And I understand that the powers that be, their hands are tied by the other powers that be, and they operate in a certain way, but it really, it feels like totally dehumanizing. Right. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't, I was ready, but I I was very sad by the way it happened. I was very sad that some of my colleagues um, were also let go and not redeployed. Um, You know, for me, I knew I had somewhere to go, but other people didn't necessarily. And I, I, you know, I, I, they didn't, I I think I can say this without getting in trouble. I mean, I will say I'm still, you know, we came to a nice agreement at the end. I feel like that part was done fairly so I have no complaints, yep. um, but I also, you know, I can't, I, I got to be careful what I say. Um, my, I think my biggest sadness was the lack of acknowledgement. Um, there was never, other than my personal statement, there was never an acknowledgement from the company um, publicly and a thank you. And I, 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 just think that we did a lot <laughs> You know, under the company name. Um, Yeah,
2: to promote to to promote the the what the company what the company sort of aspired to right as a we're in your community and we care about your community. You literally were the face of that outreach, and I'm with you. Like to yeah, like I I, you know it's interesting you say that because I don't I certainly wasn't entitled to any kind of like, uh, hey, thanks for your uh, time here, press release. To me, it was more of I felt I wish they would have been sort of more honest and upfront with me and maybe HR reasons they couldn't do that. But I having covered media for such a long time. Like I know how good companies even Mm -hmm. let people go. Mm -hmm. There is a way to do it. There's a way to do it with dignity and honor, dignity of work. And that's what I was a little disappointed on. But with you, and again, this is my words, you don't have to say this, uh, and I certainly don't want you to get in trouble. If you are doing a program that really tries to promote the best values of a company, and Rogers is a company that really does try to, you know, they take this kind of stuff seriously, diversity um, of workforce, they want to sort of be known as a community-oriented company. I agree with you. I like, feel like there should have been a statement that said, hey, thank you for like you know the hours that you put in. Um, to do this also by the way like that statement doesn't cost them anything. it doesn't change mm-hmm. how much money you're getting or not getting you know what I mean it's just sort of in a a, a professional acknowledgement of good work and I it's not very hard and when you don't do it to me it's just thoughtful it's it's just mm-hmm. a lack of thoughtfulness and I don't like you I don't understand it because it's very yeah, very I easy just
3: to you know do. I I know our our team and many of us were there right from the beginning. You know, I, I've never been with a team that feels more like a family that has um, the same drive and directive. You know that that we were really so careful and conscious of you know going into communities and making um, making them proud and making them feel like we we worthy of being ambassadors that we were worthy of telling their stories. Like I just, everybody worked so hard. And again, it was in the name of the company. And so, yes, I felt like they wanted us to go softly into that good night um, without an acknowledgement. And that to me was, I think the most disappointing because you're right. I don't think that it would have made them look worse. I think it would have made them look better.
2: Of course. Yeah. And I will say, and this is something Tara mentioned and I'll just mention for myself as well. I was very fortunate. I always had another job. I always had a a, a significant income job at the athletic. So it was very different for me. And there were many colleagues that I had at the same time who were laid off. And I really felt for them because they, you know, they had given, like their dream was to work for Sportsnet. Like that's what they grew up Mm -hmm. dreaming about. And like when that dream comes to an end, like, Trust me, I get it. Like, I, I, I totally understand that. For your purposes, though, Tara, I wonder, and again, if you can't speak to this, I respect that. But did they offer to redeploy you? Because you are someone who had significant experience um, in NHL circles, probably an amazing role Rolodex. You're excellent mm-hmm. on television. You have a ton of, like, front-facing experience again, my thought would be like a smart company at least has that conversation say, hey is there anything else that you might want to do or is there something that, this this shows over but is there something else that we can do here within the larger universe Did that I was not given happen? that option again, I, I just would shake my head at that I do think you're gonna be in a better place but I would say once again like smarter smart companies figure out ways to keep good talent.
3: I have um, a big mouth, Richard. Okay. So you know, like there's, there's. No, I try, there's, I mean, there's, I there's part of me that has to think that you know, um, some people might consider that a liability and might just be easier not to deal with me.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, you remind me of my sister, except you're a better singer. Then, <laughs> unquestionably so.
0: Selling a little or a lot. to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Podcast. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash Podcast.
2: Let me ask you something just as an observer of this stuff. Um, one of the interesting things about Canada when it comes to sports media is that there's much less competition than in the U S right there. If you you'll, you see this now, like the fact that you can work for like a regional network, you work for a team. Um, there's, there are just even in terms of even major network um, opportunities, you know, CBS, NBC, uh, ESPN, Fox, uh, <laughs> Amazon, Apple, you know what I mean? I continue to go on in Canada. Generally speaking, you're either working for Bella Rogers or you're not working for a network in that country. So I wonder from your perspective, especially as the, those two companies can start – really have consolidated their their um, sports – their their like sort of t- sports talent. Like they continue – they don't really add per se. They just really continue to pair off and pair and pair. Where do you think things are heading? Like if you had to guess where that sort of industry would be in like 2030, let's say like – okay, so eight, six uh, seven years from now basically –
3: what is Honestly, it? Honestly, like? I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I really I really think, and it's such a cliche, but I really do think content is king, not to gender it, but or queen. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think people are so hungry for for stories, yet I'm seeing stories disappear. You know, I'm seeing shows like ours disappear. Um, obviously in Canada, you know, people who watch know that, um, you know, sports betting was legalized in Ontario. So that's taking up a ton of space where I think storytelling would have been otherwise, Um, which to me is a little bit like counter to what I believe people are, people want. Um, But I just think it's going to be more and more important. You know, we, (laughs) Social media managers used to be like scoffed at. Oh, yeah, you studied social media in in school. Like, haha. Well, no, they win. Like, you know, that kind of content is what people are gobbling up. And so I just, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure if the, the, you know, the big two in Canada, for instance, are going to end up being also fractured by you know, the Amazons and Apples of the world um, coming into that market and, yeah. and fracturing some of that and, and offering content differently.
2: Do you have interest in um, in morphing beyond hockey if those opportunities present itself like sort of a sports journalist? Yeah, I mean,
3: I think, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I just have to plead ignorance. Like, it would be a huge learning curve. I, I think, you know, I'm a professional. Yeah. I know how to host and and report and I always do my homework, you know, very, very thoroughly. Um, but like, you know, could I be Sarah Spain and and know what I'm talking about when I have questions about every single sport thrown at me? No, not not at this point. So I mean I'm feel really grateful that I ended up in hockey. But again, you know, I my specialty, I think, is drawing people out of themselves and telling stories. And I don't think that that you need to know the X's and O's of a given sport to you know you, you, I speak sports enough.
2: Yeah I want to finish up with social media but before that um, your sort of skill set strikes me as somebody who really would be make for an excellent host of a podcast which could um, interview people who let's say you know this is obviously your specialty are sort of within the hockey universe but I think you'd be just as comfortable interviewing, A musician interviewing an actor, an actress interviewing some politician. Like, I feel like just that would fit into your skill set. Is that as you sort of look down the road, something that might be of interest to you where you have, in addition to your work for the Sharks and NBC, maybe you have your own thing where you sort of can do the kind of um, interviews or content that you really want to do? Even if it turns Mm -hmm. out that that's a passion project more than a financial boon, is that something that?
3: You yeah, totally. I mean, I hosted a morning show. I hosted breakfast television Calgary for five years. Yeah. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Wow. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the hours killed me and that's, I just had to get out. Like some people, <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but for me, I woke up at 3am and it was my last year there really? that I, I drove into the empty parkade and like basically sheared off the side of my car because my spatial awareness was so bad because I was so impaired by lack of sleep. Um so but what I loved about doing the morning show was we talked about everything and I feel like I'm interested in everything. So absolutely.
2: All right. The last thing I want to hit on is because um you know you recently made the uh the athletics uh <laughs> hockey twitter list, right? Most most uh I, f- I forgot how they phrased it, but like, you know, like the The essential hockey Twitter people you must follow. uh, You made that, and that's you know. Listen, that's a you know, for as like silly as sometimes Twitter lists are, that's still a legit thing. I mean, this is a major publication uh, globally, and to sort of uh, be named to that is a big deal. The reason why you were really, um, the reason why I think you, and by the way, I don't know who made that decision. I'm not part of the hockey department, so like I couldn't tell you my colleagues who did that. But it's very clear one of the reasons that they put you on that list was because you. Because of the things you care about. Like, you're um, you're very fearless, I think, in many ways in, on that feed. You discuss hockey culture. You discuss the massive failures of Hockey Canada. You discuss misogyny in sports and particularly in hockey. And so, you know, I, I, I can't say I followed you like five or six years ago. So, like, has that always been part of, like, your social media output? Or is this something that you... I know that evolved and that of late you just have felt Mm -hmm. like this is really important to me. And I have this public forum. I think it
3: evolved. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, as Twitter specifically became more and more of a tool, then, you know, you kind of learn how you can use it and to what effect, um, and you know, where you can find community, which I think I really, really, uh, kind of accessed, during the pandemic, I think uh, as many of us did, you know, the, I feel like I know a lot of amazing people in hockey um, because we really met on, on that site during that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, I reached, I've always been this, you know, like I, I, in grade school, I was Argue, you know, arguing against the patriarchy probably in grade eight. Like that was always that's always been who I am. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, being in the hockey world, I access more of that. And I think being, you know, part of hometown hockey, you see what hockey can be aspirationally, like the best parts, right? Communities ga- coming together and and rallying and and helping people, like at its best hockey can be this place of of freedom and joy and community. But then we came across a lot of stories where people felt othered. And so I think the more that I started to see that and understand it, the more I became part of this community and the older I get, And yeah, I felt felt like I had, you know, I'm a, listen, I'm a, I was employed. I mean, I, I don't think I assumed that I was um impenetrable but i felt like i had a certain degree of stability but i'm a white
2: yeah
3: cisgendered straight woman with that comes some privilege um and people were some for some reason listening
2: D- did um you know leah hextall was on this podcast not too long ago and she spoke in very um sobering terms about the mm-hmm. amount of shit that she takes um including at least on one of her feeds, I don't know if it was Twitter or elsewhere, like literally a death threat, like, you know, I'm going to kill you if you continue to uh, keep broadcasting. When you have gone into places where you have been critical of uh, the worst of the culture of hockey, uh, what has that experience been like for you on on social media? And again, I do think you're, I appreciate you saying this, and I certainly as a white man have like the, the biggest privilege of all, but do you, like, is the, Venom and vitriol bad for you. I know it's horrific for women of color, players of color, unquestionably so. But so what's your experience like? Because you're pretty fearless in terms of putting your opinion about this. Yeah, I
3: mean, it's pretty nasty. And and at times it's downright scary. Um, I mean, the scariest was recently. I made comments about Don Cherry and Don has a very loyal legion of of followers and devotees and they came for me and they didn't just you know it was like they it was like being swarmed virtually you know they hit all of my social media accounts posted on all of my photos including you know photos with my daughter um so you know at that point you're like holy shit like this is it it could go from the virtual to the real like that's when you're like okay I I can be I have to be cautious now. I got my first like right. real hate letter. <laughs> um so somebody took a lot of time to like write and find me. Um they sent it to Sportsnet. They didn't find my current address. Um yeah. No, So I yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, ha- I I would be lying if I said it it didn't bother me uh at times and certainly, you know, when it just the the difference you know the the sort of misogynistic violence um that is leveled towards women you know that that is a is a difference and and it's it's horrible and it kind of in those moments you realize wow like we it's not just we have a long way to go it's like we haven't moved <laughs> we just haven't moved like this is the world this is how women are regarded by a significant chunk of the population so yeah, it's it's scary and it sucks, but I also believe that, you know, it's not my style to be quiet. Um, I do have a platform. I do think some people are listening, uh, and I guess it's some compulsion that I have.
2: Well, I'm sorry you had to deal with that, but you did. You have an important voice, and I'm I'm glad you're going to continue to use it. The last thing I would say, and this is just something. Uh, when I knew you were coming on, I was thinking about is one thing I hope you do, and I'm not even exactly sure how you sort of become part of this, but I think you would be such a valuable voice um, amid the like U S sports kind of media panels and industry mm-hmm. where, you know, people talk at conferences and stuff like that. So I hope that's something, you know, I, If if your agent is sort of like part of that world, that's like, you know, there are ways to get into like the, sports business journal kind of stuff, but I, I don't know. I just, I think, I hope it's something that you think about even regionally, because I I just think you have really interesting experience having worked in two countries, um, being part of some, uh, really interesting shows. And then again, like having mm-hmm. quite frankly, like a social conscious, I, I just think that's, um, I really think you'd just be a really valuable person, like, uh, for Thank people you. to hear. Thanks. Um, and that is something I just wanted to tell you, you know, on, uh, as well as, uh, as the audience here. All right, is there anything else that uh that you would like I mean,
3: I'm jealous <laughs> as hell that you Well, no, you have listen. We're weather. in Nor- Wait. Well, we're on, in Northern California. I you like California? to know what it is in Toronto okay. today? Well, it's, it's only 10 three. here. It's like, you know, and, and it goes down to like 1 at night, but yes. Ugh. I'm looking outside. There's the grass is green. It's, Stop. Uh,
2: Do you miss will you miss snow? Like in terms of uh, like I I'm going to be back Christmas in Canada
3: time? for Christmas. I have uh I okay. I have had I've already
2: I'm sorry. By the way, um, my, I, okay. I take it back. Yeah, it's minus no, I don't. One I don't, I, don't, I don't miss that. So there you go.
3: I don't miss that. Thirty-one Fahrenheit, um, and I am back in. I've already since I moved here. I've been back to Canada three times, I think. So I feel like I'm going to be touching in enough. Um, but no, I love. I see flowers outside my window. Not to make people hate me, but it's it's pretty oh, beautiful. good. Beautiful.
2: The and. Uh, Oh, so I'm looking this guy up. So your your uh, your boyfriend, your partner, he's Canadian too, right? So you're both of you two are taking advantage of my beautiful country and like living yeah. in the greatest uh, uh warm weather state yeah, outside he's, of I mean Hawaii. he's
3: been in Canada or sorry, he's been out got, of Canada you, since he was in college. So he yeah, so yeah, he's he's stayed. But uh, I'm grateful.
2: All right, lastly, all right, this is just for my own amusement. Like, just, you know, whatever. You can, you know, pat me on the head as a dumb American idiot here. Are there places in the country that you want to see? Because, again, I know you have not – you have traveled to the U.S., but you have not necessarily, mm. like, lived there. So, like, I don't know. Did you – when you were doing your musician stuff, I've, did you ever get we to didn't Hawaii? i in, so in Hawaii, but I've
3: that. been there. I was there once many years ago, but – oh no. Okay, there, I mean,
1: right.
3: we – and we toured through – you know, most states, but you don't stop. And even if you play a show, um, right. you know, you don't necessarily.
2: Like, have you ever done the drive, like the Pacific coast highway yeah, drive? I agree. And I think you should I really agree. No. And if we did
3: it, there. we probably did it at night yeah. in a bus while we were sleeping. Right. So no, but I mean, yeah, so I've yeah, been lots right. of places, but, um, I feel like there's lots, lots to experience and, and lots of even drives from where we are. Like it's, you know, we're, like an hour from Big Sur and like just places that are totally magical.
2: Ah, uh, beautiful. People are
3: going to hate All me right. now.
2: Well, <laughs> no, no one's going to hate you, but you know, just remember to vote in your country Always. and I'll continue to vote Always. in my country, even though, uh, yeah, yeah, that's very, maybe one day, uh, you know, I, I am, I would never give up my U S citizenship, but I am thinking about maybe becoming a Canadian citizen. Just because yeah. I like the idea of wanting to vote here. Um, so that's cool. You know, I don't know Oh, that I would, ever trust me, for you down there. My vote um, would be put to
3: good use. I have lots yeah. of thoughts.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same here. I just, I know. I feel like I trust. Yeah. I like feel really good when, um, when we as a family sort of send that, uh, ballot back to New York. Like it just makes me feel like, um, a mm-hmm. uh, part of the citizenry. Um, it just does. I, it, it's a weird, it, it's not a weird thing. I mean, it's a small thing, but it's an important thing. And man, is it, It'll never it's as important as it certainly has been in my lifetime. All right. As I said, let's give Tara Sloane's bio real quick before she gets out of here. She is a host and digital contributor for the NHL San Jose Sharks. I just learned today that she's now doing work for the NBC. Is it the NBC affiliate NBC in San Bayer. Jose or is it uh Yes. NBC Bay Area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot oh, of which people. Which is here. a very they're, they're, that yeah, they have the Warriors and everybody else. That's kind you're kind of getting, you know, the big time is <laughs> I'll moving take up it. to the big time there, Tara uh yeah and for the americans uh google her um and you'll see all the work that she did on hometown hockey
3: no juno nominated. I mean nominated
2: Juno. i mean it's i call it the junos no no i'm saying i got <laughs> Tara, i have to sell this for the american audience no, no no half the people don't know what a juno is juno nominated band joy drop and if you uh like they were a pretty decent band like i did in my research for uh for this interview i was listening to some of it and uh um I could see why you guys got a big Thank contract. You. Like totally doesn't surprise me at all. All right. Tara Sloan, I've been wanting to do this a long time. Uh, you deliver as as expected. No bullshit here. I really wish you the best of success. I'm a great admirer of yours. And uh, and I have no doubt like um, good things are coming for you in the uh, in the beautiful part of the world there in California. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank
3: you. And I remain honored. Thank you.
1: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: All right, as I said at the top, Stephen Brunt is one of Canada's most well-known sports voices.'s been a uh, or he is a, he not a been a. He is an award-winning writer and broadcaster. He has worked uh, for The Globe and Mail, which for the American audience, major uh, paper in Canada. Roger's Sportsnet, and he's the author of multiple best-selling books. Uh, I'll name just a couple here. Facing Ali, Searching for Bobby Orr, Gretzky's Tears. His latest book, and the reason he's here, is Playing the Long Game, which is written with Christine Sinclair, who is the iconic Canadian women's soccer player. Again, many Americans will know her from playing in the NWSL and in Portland. And I'm pleased to be joined by my old Sportsnet Colleague, my old primetime colleague,
4: Stephen Braun. Stephen, how are you? Hey, great, Richard. Welcome. Thanks for welcoming me, welcoming me back from uh, exile. This is the first. Uh, this is the first thing I've done. So uh, I'm happy to be with you. We
2: appreciate that. You know, I re- maybe I should call Bob McCawen right now so the three of us can be in the studio. We can be <laughs> yeah, awesome, reunion, sick, yeah, reunion, yeah. Uh, all right, so. Ha- you know, you've done a lot of books with, you know, prominent figures, certainly prominent figures in um, in Canada sports. So I think my audience would find this of great interest, even if, you know, they're not super familiar with Christine Sinclair. Like, so how does a book like this come together? Does Christine Sinclair approach or her people approach you? Do you pitch her with the idea? How does something like this come together?
4: You know, it really depends. They're like, they're all, they're all a little dark because I've done, I have done a bunch of these now. Um I, I like i i forget how many books like books in total that because i don't acknowledge all of them some of them i pretend that i didn't really <laughs> that my name's not on them but you know, i've probably written fifteen or sixteen books uh and um and some of them are my own books like the 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 titles you mentioned are my own um and then i'd be i've done some of this kind of hired gun work as a um you know as told to or or you know writing first person biographies for people um and yeah, sometimes like sometimes you're involved right from the beginning with the pitch, um, which I was, I did Jordan Tutu's book. Um, yep. and there's another one of those, there's a sequel to that coming. Um, and I was involved kind of right from the, from the, the ground floor on that one is, you know, it's was a joint venture with, between me and with me and, and, and him as partners. Um, you know, sometimes you're brought in later, you know, Brian Burke, um, hired me to write his book. He'd already had a book deal. And, but he realized he needed somebody to write it. did wasn't going to do it himself. And uh, actually he, I, I, I guess I convinced him of that. It wasn't the, uh, he, he asked me, he showed me some of his manuscripts and we were just talking about book stuff. And as you know, Brian was at Sportsnet is when we were there. Yep. And he said, what did ask me? What I thought about it? And I said, you write Like a lawyer. And because, <laughs> cause he's a lawyer, right. And uh, yeah. so and brilliant, said, write- brilliant guy, by the way. And a brilliant guy. And I said, but you write like a lawyer. I said, I said, you know, you should, but, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't soliciting the work at all, but he said, well, why don't you write it? And, you know, that's kind of how that thing got started. So I was hired by Brian. Um, th- th- these last two, and it's, so I've got two books current right now. One is with the, uh, was, is Christine's book and the others with Brian Trocek. um, right. The great, the great New York Islanders player. And, you know, two you know, the, see, the both written in the middle of the pandemic in the depths of the pandemic, the trache book was signed and there had already been a kind of a, an attempt to get it done with somebody else and it didn't work. So I was probably kind of brought in to do a fix and, you know, really ended up writing it from scratch and, you know, spending a lot of time with, with Brian on the phone because I couldn't cross the border. So he was in Pittsburgh yeah. and, Literally, you know, literally we were not allowed to cross the border. So a lot of had to do a lot of the legwork on that, that went over the phone. And then the sync book, the Christine Sinclair book, it came, you know, it was a crazy tight deadline to get it done. It was ridiculous. It, but so her deal had already been signed. She had to deal with the publisher and they had a crazy, crazy tight deadline. Now the publisher is the publisher I work with the editor on the book is somebody I had a long relationship with. So you know, it was kind of natural for the, and I told, you know, I, I, when I was asked about it, I said, look, I don't want anybody, this is an insane deadline and I'm going to regret this, but I don't want anybody else writing that book because I love Sinclair as an athlete and I'd covered her a ton. And um, I knew it'd be challenging. Cause she's very, she's not the most forthcoming person in the world, but I said, look, I really want to do this. And uh, so I did that. So I was hired by Christine and her people to write that book. And, uh, on a, I say on a timeline that was insane. And then her mother passed away in the middle of the writing of it. And we lost a month, like a month where, she, where there was, she just couldn't do it. So uh, I've never written a book faster than that. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's, that's kind of how it comes about. So it's, it's depends, you know, sometimes, you know, it's a long process and you're involved even in the pitch and the, and the proposal and the, and, and that, and sometimes somebody breaks glass and, you know, sounds an alarm and they give you a call.
2: So, and I'll just mention, just uh, for the audience, the, the Tracie book is all roads home, a life on and off the ice. And yeah, uh, you know, being that I actually grew up in around that area, he was just he was an incredible player for the Islanders. Um, so, I, you know, again, this my i i, I was <laughs> I would say I was pretty close once to doing an as told to of a well known broadcaster. It it didn't work out. Um, mm-hmm. and for multiple reasons. Um, a lovely person, by the way, but, but my experience with that was, um, to sit down with that person, uh, either in person or by phone and to just, you know, open the tape recorder up and, 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 and and let it roll, as, you know, whether you did it chronologically mm-hmm. or whether you did it another way. So let's just use Christine Sinclair as the example. And again, as you mentioned, brilliant soccer player, but in many ways shy, not the most forthcoming person. So how does that come about? Do you, do you go to wherever she is, sit down for an entire day, take the tape recorder out? Are you doing this all by phone or all by Zoom? How did it work for you?
4: Um, by the time I, I, signed up for that book, we could cross the things that loosened up a little bit pan, pan, pandemic wise, so I could cross the border. She's in, she lives in Portland, in Portland, Oregon. Right. So, um, I went to her, um, and, uh, you know, checked into a hotel for a few days. So, you're very restricted. Like again, hotel with masks and the restaurants closed and all of those pandemic things that we remember so fondly. And, um, you know, Christine lives a very scheduled life in terms of, you know, she plays for the Thorns out there in the NWSL. So she would have training and she'd have, uh, you know, physio and all of this kind of stuff in her life, which she does not, she would not deviate from. Um, That's her. So I would get her for two hours at a time, an hour at a time. And uh, we would sit down in the empty, one of the empty bars in that hotel. And uh, I would roll tape or roll audio, whatever we call it these days, not actually tape. And I would interview her essentially, Um, you know, and one of the things they had to kind of get through with her and it's, 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 you know, people are used to athletes. A lot of athletes are used to being interviewed and kind of being defensive, right. They're trying to protect themselves and they're trying not to give stuff, to give stuff up that they don't want to give up. And they're, they don't know what it's going to turn out like in the end. You know, one of the things you have to do when you're working on a book with someone is kind of, you know, reassure them that it's, you know, this is your book. Nothing is going to be in this book that you don't want to be in this book. You know, you kind of, kind of get through their motivation. Like, why, why do you want to do this? What, what do you want to say? How far do you want to go? Um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, make sure that everybody understands that we're all in this together, right. That we're, you know, that this, we are partners in this. It's not the, you know, it's, it's not the kind of oppositional thing that you would sometimes have if you were, you know, in in uh, media. And I've, you know, the situation I've been in a million times, interviewing an athlete where you know, you're kind of sawing off against each other across the table. You know, you're you're you're. It's a partnership. So, and it's their subjective reality. It's not. I'm not going to go out and say, <laughs> you know, that's not true. Or, um, it, it's it's their story to tell, and it's their your job is to tell the story they want it they want told the way they want it told and then the writing trick is to being is the, the ability to be able to capture their voice to write it so that it sounds like them which is you know you know trend, you 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 do hours and hours of interviews and have them transcribed or transcribe them yourself so you have a record of the voice but you know the art is in kind of taking that text and and turning into a coherent cohesive narrative, um, with structure while retaining the, the rhythm and sound of their voice. That's, that's the writing challenge.
2: Did, um, for these books, and again, like you said, you've done a number of them now, you know, Brian Burke, Bob Cole, Jordan Tutu, Trachier, obviously, Christine Sinclair. Um, is there a process where they will read the book prior to it being, published uh is there value in in asking the subject not to read it because you don't want them to well I mean again it's their story so I, I guess in theory they can they can change whatever they want but I, I guess how does that part work because obviously Steve as you know um in your other life when you're working for the Globe and Mail or you're writing when you're writing for Sportsnet it's not like you're giving Pascal Siakam your copy beforehand asking <laughs> exactly. Pascal to go yeah. through it right and then publish it so this is a different process
4: yeah, it's a it's a, it is it's a completely different process and you have to kind of give yourself over to that so um yeah i, I like I don't I I, I think it's best that they don't see the work in progress there's no real upside to that it's, so it's not like you know when when you're making a movie I guess and you show dailies to people i there's no there's no point in that because you they they that's just gonna gum up the works so what they but what they get is the um you know, the, the, the first edited version of the manuscript. So the complete manuscript and, um, and it's theirs, you know, like they, they have, they have the power to add or subtract, to object, to, to affirm, you know, it's their book. So, you know, you, you, yeah, you know, and it's, you know, they sometimes I think, if you know, if the interview process goes really well sometimes and people forget that they're being interviewed and they're just speaking their minds, I think sometimes it's when you see stuff on the page in black and white, it's a bit shocking. It's, it's, it's a little, and then you, and then sometimes, you know, there has to be a process of saying, no, this should be in the book or, but again, that's not my call. Um, right. Usually that's between, you know, the editor and the subject, you know, and sometimes an agent will, will be involved as well. Um, because you know, every there's a bunch of different sets of interests at play
2: the um you know in in the u s there's obviously been a ton of sports books and as a general rule um it's either the demand often comes from someone who is very very famous in sports and people want to read that book or the author is either really well-known as an author or perhaps particularly gifted when it comes to writing sports books. Um, while I've, you know, now lived in Toronto more than four years, I don't really still have a great sense of, like, the demand for sports books in Canada. Outside, I mean, it's a old joke. Outside of the fact that, like, if you got a hockey book, you probably got a better chance of it being sold than a, than a non-hockey book. So I wonder just for you know, for this audience, and again, where there are certainly more people from the U.S. listening than Canada, like, what's the demand
4: for sports books in Canada,
2: as as someone who's written success, you know, written many of them successfully?
4: It's, um, well, it's all about Christmas. (laughs) It's like, the, (laughs) the entire, the entire industry really is about Christmas, um, I guess, but, you know, certainly for anything in sport, it, um, I forget what percentage of the business in hardback books is done in October, November, and December, or and January because of gift cards. Um, but it's the, you know, the vast majority of books that are sold are sold before Christmas hardback books. That's, that's the, that's the industry. So books are gifts, hardback books are gifts. Now you, know, you sell to readers. There's, you know, I, I think uh, the, the marketing of fiction is a different thing. There's a lot of spring publication in fiction, but you know, most of the kind of commercial, Non-fiction books are published in September or October, and um, and then and and then the, the the sales weeks that matter are the ones, you know, November through December through the middle of January. So that it's that's that's the demand. And in Canada, um, yeah, hockey. There's, I think, if you look at the market, um, there's always one hockey book that kind of rises to the top for one reason or another and sits at the top or near the top of the bestseller list for all of that time and does really, really well. And then the books that are not in that position do less well. Um, and non-hockey books have been tricky historically in Canada. So, you know, and again, I've been on both sides of that. Like when I did searching for Bobby Orr, um, that book, was number one or near number one on the Canadian bestseller list for I think thirteen weeks. It was wow. the book. Of, it was the book of the year, hockey wise, and it did. It still sells like crazy. Um, when I did Gretzky's Tears, which I actually like better as a book personally, um, it did. It did really well, but it came out the same year as Theo Fleury's book, and Theo Fleury's book was a bit of a sensation. So it it was the second hockey book that Christmas, and so it didn't do as as well so yeah when you know that like this year the, the trache book is the number one hockey book because there really isn't a lot of comp- for whatever reason there's usually you know there's usually 10 biographies of Toronto maple Leafs on the market but but this year this year there aren't so you know trache is, is is nosed ahead as the number one hockey book and it's doing great i want to ask you about uh
2: uh and i've never read your facing ali book i love that idea though 15 opponents of ali i'll have to see if i can find that because that that's a very cool you must have i know you're a boxing guy you must have loved doing that that's just a very good premise for a book i think
4: no that's the of that book and it's you know i the premise wasn't you know like i did have some There was a lot of discussion about how to do that book and how to do an ali book back in the day when i when i published it but uh, yeah it it was a pure joy i was traveling for the globe and mail a lot in those days so i I, you know, I had somebody paying my freight in a lot of ways so that I could find some of those guys in, in Europe and in Australia and you know all over the place where I was traveling. So it was, it was a blast meeting those guys and I, uh, yeah, you know, all these central figure culturally and central figure and lives of everybody who's my age. So, and that's, that's the one book of all the books I've written. Um, that book's had a big international life. It's published. It's it, that book is still kind of being uh, printed all over the world.
2: All right, before we get into um, Canadian sports media, which uh, is certainly a topic that I wanted to talk to you about, given we are both in it, I did want to ask you about the state of Canadian soccer. Uh, obviously, that's something both of us are interested in. You um, you have interviewed, including Christine Sinclair, many of the best players uh, in Canada, both on the men's and women's side. You, had a, you have a long-standing relationship with John Herdman, who obviously uh, crossed over to both those teams. Um, while it was certainly disappointing that the Canadian men um, forget about not getting out of the group sort of you know maybe didn't um, get any points in the World Cup The the larger story is still incredible of course that they they made it and 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 the um, the future seems really bright the women have been incredible they've actually superseded the men in terms of what they've been able to win my hope is that Stephen? Is that like this? Is the moment for Canada soccer in terms of long-standing success, and it sort of changes the direction of what this country is in relation to soccer heading forward. That's what I could tell you as an American. You know, it doesn't always go that way. You yeah. know, like nineteen ninety-four, people were like, "Okay, like this is the the next twenty-five years or the American century in soccer," and it didn't necessarily happen. So I'm optimistic, and I and I think it. Um, I think these last two years have changed soccer in Canada forever, but we don't really know. And I just wanted to get your sort of broad strokes take here on where you think this may be going. I,
4: you know, I, I think the the perception is always five years behind the, what's actually happening. And I, and I go, and I have some, like I covered the 94 world cup. So um, that was the first world cup I covered. I did 94, 98, 02, 06, 2010. Um, And, you know, yeah, the, 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 you know, the 94 world cup was transformative. Um, you know, obviously MLS came out of it directly, but you know, watching games in football stadiums, you know, what American football stadiums, watching soccer and, you know, full houses for, um, you know, a, a giant stadium or at the silver dome and Pontiac silver dome or uh, like all of the places where those games were played and the conversation around soccer, that was a launching point. And, uh, you know, the NASL back in the day was a launching point too. It's it's I think it's I think what kind of got lost a little bit in the you know, when is soccer gonna happen, and that you know, in the American conversation and Canadian conversation is the same. When's it gonna happen? Is that you know, I think people miss the fact that you know folks were getting up on Saturday morning to watch the premiership and folks were watching the Champions League, and that even you know, in Canada's case with the the not qualifying for the world cup the world cup numbers viewership numbers in canada were going through the roof and the euros all of that stuff was happening um at a you know and there were and you know never mind the kind of the grassroots stuff that the supporters groups around mls teams or uh, you know even the leagues below that or are now in canada the canadian premier league that there like there was this and it wasn't just the old cargo cults you know, people whose families came from, you know, somewhere else and, you know, the old country stuff. It was, it was a North American soccer culture. I remember, you know, being on the road at world cups and being in a trainload of American soccer fans going to watch the United States play, you know, play a world cup match. And, you know, it was pretty much the same as being in a train full of people from Scotland or Chile or Argentina, um, or, or England, um, it, you know, it, it it had happened before people acknowledged that it happened. And now, you know, you, you look at what MLS teams are valued at. You look at, you know, full soccer crowds in Atlanta and places like that or Austin, Texas. It it happened. Um, all while people were debating, mostly people who were kind of still wedded to the fact that it would never happen, um, were, were saying, wow, well, you know, when's, I'm not sure when soccer is going to make it. Soccer made it. And the same thing in Canada, you know, like the... The interest and the viewership in the in the global sport was growing and growing and growing. I I think it's the only sport with still with massive growth potential um, beyond its traditional audience in 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 this country. And yeah, the women were ahead of the game and they they had success way ahead of the men's national team. But this moment for the men's national team in Canada, it looks like people have been waiting their whole lives, Um, and you know, and waiting their whole lives to have a player like Alfonso Davies. Wherein your own you know, guy was one of the best 11 in the world wearing your national team uniform. So it, I, I think the culture already existed. It was just waiting for, you know, waiting for the moment. And the, and, and yeah, the you know, Canadian performance wasn't great. Although I guess you have to mention, Richard, like two of the four teams in their group ended up being two of the final four. Yeah. Teams. I don't think that's ever happened before. <laughs> yeah. Turn it, they were in the group of death by far. So, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's like, it started out, you know kids playing sport and participation but that's you know that's a 50 year old 60 year old story where soccer became the number one participation sport for kids in canada you know when i was a kid you know kind of went zoomed right past baseball um and you know football which was never the same thing here as it was in the states but you know the idea of kind of a a north american or canadian or an american soccer culture like it hap- it's happened and uh you know, that doesn't mean, you know, the United States is going to win the next World Cup or that Canada is going to get out of the group in the next World Cup. But, you know, hosting, hosting the next world, hosting in 2026 can be a lot different than hosting in 1994.
2: Um, it, yeah, it really I, is. At least we've, I feel confident saying all, th- all, all, I feel confident saying Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. will be in the World Cup. <laughs> That's,
4: yes, we can say that with some confidence, but it's going to be, <laughs> like, it's a soccer literate, like, you know, there are soccer conversations in, you know, mainstream sports. Now they're, like, the the soccer uh, skeptics if they do they still exist i like i i, I don't really think so anymore um it's I, I i think it's that debate's over yeah i agree
2: and again something has changed no one is ever saying i can certainly speak from the us perspective no one's ever saying that uh you know soccer's going to overtake the nfl no. or or quite frankly even like nba or mlb but the um a non us game the other day, the, uh, the Argentina, um, um, quarterfinal game drew 8 million hmm. viewers in the U S <laughs> that's a real number, you know, it's like a real, that's, and that's not even including, um, uh, Telemundo's coverage. So like, it's in, in many ways, um, what used to be talked about in like the seventies is like sort of, uh, you know, soccer's the next great big sport, et cetera, et cetera. It, in many ways it, it, it did arrive. It, you know, you can, if you're, if you're a good faith person, you, you can sort of talk about the fact that it did arrive. Only, like, people who will play the bad faith game will say, oh, all these people who said soccer was going to overtake the NFL. Well, I don't know how many people there were who said that, and if you said that, you were just were foolish anyway. But as a, you know, particularly global soccer around these big events, Champions League and certainly World Cup, like, it's, you know, the numbers in both Canada and U.S. don't lie. It's a significant it's event.
4: A, no, it's a, it, it, is a, it's, it is a significant event. Look, I, I think <laughs> – like the, other, the only other global sporting event is the Olympic Games which I actually think you know may be in decline I think it's I think it's a really yeah. interesting discussion about
2: it. well the the viewership numbers will tell you they're they' they their um median age of that is yeah. high higher than people might expect so they have an issue
4: no I right. wish I'd look I wish I'd bet on you know soccer futures about 20 years ago because um you know I, <laughs> I think I'd, I'd be really rich right now
2: all right, last topic I want to get you with is uh, Canadian sports media, and again, I know you, you 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 have to be a little sort of diplomatic mm. here, um, given um, um, you know, give, g- given sort of how it works for you uh, with um, with Rogers and everything else. So I'll try. We'll try to do this in in broad. Okay, strokes, I'm but I, I, I'm
4: okay is... though, Richard. Like you know, I I, I, I can self edit, um, self censor if I need to, and yes, I'm diplomatic can. by nature. Uh, so okay. you know, I'm a good Canadian. You are you are a good Canadian, and plus, Steve, I, this
2: podcast, crazily enough, has fifteen employment lawyers like on demand, just ready to go. So we're we're at all in good shape. Yeah, that's not true, by the way. Is anyone listening to this podcast? Knows. All right. So you worked in um, Canadian sports media for many many years. One of the most well known broadcasters um, in sports, certainly in the country. And so you know what we have seen very clearly is consolidation. Um, you know, over the last four years since I've been here, I've seen a lot of people who have been um laid off or their contracts weren't renewed or have have left like what what i'll just sort of phrase as sort of legacy media which you know is like the the rogers sports nets the the tsn bells um and then you know many mainstream newspapers obviously that continue to um uh cut staff um it's in many ways steve gloomy too in the united states um but if you're going to look, and this is obviously a very hard, sort of hard thing to do, in the near term, you know, one to three years, um, one to one to five years, do you anticipate there's still going to be, um, I don't know, robust employment? If I'm 24, 23, 25 years old, and I'm at one of these really good schools in Canada, and my dream is to to work somehow in the sports media, yeah, that's um, you know, I I would never tell any kid not to pursue his or her dreams. Um, but the market does seem like it's yeah pretty hard
4: it's you know like I I've always got to resist nostalgia in these things because nobody wants to hear nostalgia and again I'm and it's not I'm not particularly nostalgic yeah. right but I I did like I started in the newspaper industry working for a newspaper where you know when I became columnist at the Globe in eighty eight or eighty eighty eight I guess you know the sports department they actually had a newsroom um, they don't even have that anymore and you know occupied an entire huge section of wow. the newsroom and there were probably 15 people writing you know in addition to the you know, never mind all the editors and people putting the pages together and everything the globe and mail now today i think has two and a half writers in sports um yeah and we covered everything and you know i saw every sporting event you could name uh, as the as as the you know and, it, and the globe was not the most sports oriented of newspapers it was like the times um you know the the the, the, the more as a business oriented paper politics oriented Foreign news, you know the Toronto Star, the Toronto Sun had way more of a sports commitment than the Globe did, but the, you know that's still the environment. And I, you know, and again, I watched that kind of wither and you know nearly die before I left the Globe in 2011 to go, you know, I've been kind of noodling around in broadcasting before that, but to go over full time and work for, uh, you know, a media company that at that point was producing a sports magazine, uh, an actual pa- paper and ink mm-hmm. glossy sports magazine at Sportsnet plus TV plus radio. Uh, and you know, now I've, I, so I, you know, I, I, don't say I don't, it's not like I buried two industries, but it's changed, man. And, um, the flip side of it, Richard is like, there's still an enormous demand for sports content. So it's more what, you know, what are the machineries, right? What are the, um, it's, you know, the machinery used to be people, you know, the people who had the, you know, controlled the, the levers of power were the people who owned printing presses and, uh or television networks, or you know and, and it's it's not like that now. Um, you know, we, we always thought, well, you know, if you controlled the pipeline, you needed to put the stuff in the pipeline and that's the way you made money was, you know as as, the, as things evolved that you know, you wanted to be the content factory as well as the as the pipeline. But I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. I think the people you know who own cable companies and make all their money in the internet, I'm not sure they're going to fund the content factories. I think actually all the evidence is that they won't. And, you know, you see where, where rights, who's paying rights fees now? Who's, who's pushing the market on rights fees? Well, it's streaming services. Um, you know, that's what's still, obviously there's still huge network money going in to rights fees, but you know, that's, that's kind of the new horizon. When the NHL does its next deal in Canada, I guarantee you it won't be a single telco like it is with Rogers right now. It'll be, No, No, there's no chance. Right. So, so the, so the, the, if, if I was talking to somebody who wanted to get into, you know, like, and again, this is where we get into the, you know, are we going to separate sports journalism from the content, the production of sports content? It's the line's pretty blurry right now. Um, It was far less blurry when I started out that, you know, I covered sports as a journalist. I did not work in the sports industry, but I think, right most of the content generation is going to come from the sports industry that i think teams and leagues are going to take or well, they're already doing it because they don't need a network to reach their consumers they're going to they're going to create their own content and they're going to they're going to they're going to get it to the people who care about the product they're selling and they're going to cut out the middleman cuz the cuz the, the middleman's not you know as willing to produce content and have to go out and sell it to sponsors. So if you want to produce sports content, there's, there are gigs still, there are ways to, to do it. But what, you know, what I tell young folks now is, is go work for a league, you know, go work for a team um, or, you know, or work for an independent producer that is selling sports content back to those same telcos and networks, because that's the other, like, yeah so since i've left um the my former job you know all of the opportunities that are being presented to me are all in the in those venues right either from teams such leagues or from independent producers and i think i think that's where we are right now and
2: so two more topics within this we'll uh and that's sort of radio sports radio in canada and gambling where do you think you have you have any thoughts as to where you think um uh, sports gambling um is heading in the country of canada um we uh you know over the last uh, however many months it's been ontario obviously made uh um sports gambling legal in terms of you're able to bet on uh, um single games and what we have seen at le- or what we saw early on was an explosion of uh of advertisements across uh, many different sports uh, platforms, usually what happens is it happened in the U.S. That consolidates a little bit. There's usually a couple yeah. of winners who sort of remain out of the, uh, the the early players. But it does seem like it's it's here to stay. Like it, it you know, there's there's been no like uh, you know marching on uh, Ottawa to like sort of not have sports gambling in the country. So I, I'm not saying I don't know if it's going to become like the U.K. where you know you get punters are everywhere, but um, but you know, this will be an industry in in Can- and certainly in on Ontario, in, in Ontario, and I would imagine in Canada writ large. Where do you? Uh, what's well, been your it's, it's been pretty
4: wild, right? The first on. like it's been it's like free money. Um, it's probably what's it's what's kept the lights on yeah. for a lot of folks in the media world. The last sports media world, the last <laughs> few months. Uh, yeah, it's it's you know something that was long anticipated. Yeah. You know, look i i've been around long enough that watched you know gambling is very much verboten in canada for a long time you couldn't even buy an irish sweepstake ticket here legally when i was a kid and uh you know but the the allure of state gambling and the money that's involved this the slippery slide from lotteries to uh to uh to casinos and and parlay tickets and all of that stuff but that was all done under the auspices of the governments here until very very recently um yeah like i I I think there's going to be a rationalization in the market and, um, you know, sort of like when they legalized weed in Canada or in in Ontario and, you know, but everywhere in Canada now that I live in a neighborhood in in Hamilton here and there's, you know, there's three weed shops within a block ship where I live. Like it's all the same weed. So I'm not sure, like I'm thinking (laughs) eventually there's going to be one, you know, that, that the the market forces will, will take hold and one will survive. I assume that's what's going to happen with gambling, that the market forces, I, I guess the thing I wonder about Richard and I, like, again, I say, this is, I'm not a gambler. Um, you know, when I was covering boxing early in my career, a lot of, I spent a lot of time in Las Vegas and I decided that that was a, you know, I've got enough vices that that was probably not a good vice to cat, you know, to, to, uh, to encourage, if I was going to be in Vegas all the time or Atlantic city, um, are there new gamblers being created or is it all these people servicing the gamblers that already exist? Because I, I find that there's a kind of a dividing line, yeah, right? Like I, I, I watch all this gambling content and it's just, it, it means nothing to me. No, it's not, it's not, I'm not, it's not, I, I don't care. Um, and I think you're a gambler. You're not a gambler, aren't you?
2: I think that's a good point. All right, Stephen, let's finish with this. It's obviously a subject that's very dear and near to both of us. And that's, um, sports radio, uh, in Canada. Um, <laughs> what, what sports radio is in Canada today is so different than what it was when you first started with Bob and, and, and were on the airwaves. I wouldn't necessarily say that like audio is dead in Canada because podcasts will continue. And I think they will continue to grow and there'll be, I think a lot of money in that space. And the people who got into that space earlier are, are obviously the the major winners but man um i don't know how i feel about like thinking that like you're driving somewhere and like you know there's going to be a sports talk radio station in your city you know five years from now i like maybe but maybe not which seems inconceivable to me to even if you if i had said something like that 20 years ago about a city like toronto you know you you would have told that person you're insane what are you talking about so Again, it's sort of the same question I asked you um, in terms of sort of thinking about something broadly before. But uh, I don't know. Five years from now, if you're driving in a car somewhere in Hamilton, are there going to be a sports talk station on your airways, or are you yeah. going to have to go on a podcast to get that?
4: Yeah, or something like that in your wired car, I guess, and you you'd be able yeah, to pick up right. the content somehow, right? Um, I guess it's and I and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but it, it's still it feels to me like it's a little different in the States still, at least in certain markets that it's, it is. it's still yeah, you certain, know,
2: Boston, New York, it's still
4: Philadelphia, not only yeah. profitable,
2: but it, it, it has impact. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It, um, yeah, it, you know, like it, in, in Canada really was the, the it was a Toronto thing only in Canada for, for most of, you know, the history of sports radio, if you want to, you know, go back to the beginning of primetime sports and McCowan, and which, you know, he came on along around the same time as Francesa did in New York and, Um, But it wasn't like there were, you know, there were, there wasn't all sports radio in other markets until I guess really what the last 15 years, maybe, Uh, you know, well, 2001, there, you know, and I was involved in a competing sports radio network that popped up in 2001, that put all sports into Vancouver and Calgary and Montreal. So that was the first time really it had branched out beyond Toronto, but in Toronto, it was a thing. And um, the fan in Toronto was was it uh it was a it was a destination and um so you know there was competition so that diluted things slightly but you know richard like you look you and i were working we're doing it during when the pandemic hit in 2020 and it it, i I think it was teetering before the pandemic like i always thought our you know our like the audience for the show when i was doing drive time you could always kind of imagine okay who's my audience well it's guys in cars because it was mostly male, you know, overwhelmingly male. So, nope, it's legit to say guys. And it was commuters. It was people, it was the people who were leaving downtown Toronto who were stuck in traffic, who were working their, making their way back home to the suburbs or to Hamilton where I live or places like that. You know, McCowan used to always say that, it, so it was kind of like the, the, the same people who you know, would go to work and read the Wall Street Journal or read the Globe and Mail's report on business and um, that their kind of secret, you know, their their secret passion was that they would get in the car and listen to Yahoo's talking about sports. And I think he was right. Like, so that, you know, the demographic was actually pretty, that wasn't broad in terms of like gender, but it was, there's a lot of different folks who, you know, wanted to have, hear somebody talk about the Leafs or talk about the Blue Jays or talk about the Raptors, you know on their way home listen to call in uh hear the scores hear the updates and i think that was teetering before the pandemic because there were there were other ways to get that information um and then when everybody was out of their cars in 2020 there was nobody the roads were deserted i think that was that pushed it over the cliff and it's not coming back right that that world isn't we're never going back to a world like that again, I, again, once again, resisting nostalgia and saying that, you know, everything was better back then, but yeah, there, there, there are all kinds of number one, there's just, people aren't necessarily trapped in their cars for two hours to get home in the afternoon or in the morning. And if they are, they're listening to a podcast. They can listen to satellite radio. Um, they can listen to sports specific stuff. They can listen to stuff about their favorite team exclusively. Um, and, you know, what you lose is the immediacy. Like, I, it's, it's funny what I've noticed this, especially this fall, now that I've been kind of at leisure, is that when a sports story breaks, you st- you know, radio is the place, right? Because it's immediate. And, you know, and yet the sports radio station where we used to work is now more of a podcast platform than anything else. So, you know, yeah, the, the Jays yeah, could trade Teoscar Hernandez. And if you flipped on it, it could it would be, in a, you'd be listening to a basketball show. And they wouldn't mention it at all. And there are no updates. So there's no news function. So I think if you take away immediacy, and and maybe that's not enough anymore, but if you take away the kind of the reactive part of sports radio is like, if something happens, I want to hear about it. I want to hear somebody talking about it who in theory is knowledgeable or at least provocative. Uh, And you take away a big chunk of the audience who are captive in their automobiles, then I'm not sure what you got left.
2: Yeah, it. Bum- I mean, it's the reality of um, it's the reality of the day, though it it still depresses me because I I really love uh, sports radio. Uh, me too. And, and sports radio has a lot of issues. Like, trust me. And you know, I don't like the sports radio that's just hot takey and like TNA bullshit mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But like at its core, you sort of hint on it. The ability to sort of talk about something that just happened. And to discuss it and analyze it or to have somebody on who's a newsmaker in the city, and then to hopefully present something compelling to people who are sitting in their cars in traffic or whatever like that that in itself is a cool thing and that was a very much a privilege to have been uh, at least I can I'll speak for myself, just a privilege to have been able to uh, to be afforded to me and to sit with you and Bob, I mean, two people really who were iconic in the, in an entire country, not just a city. Um, but I do think you're right. Um, you know, and again, I, I can say this, I I have no, um, (laughs) there's no, no, there's no company or lawyers coming from me. Like, uh, Sportsnet 590 right now, it's, it's just a distribution engine for podcasts at this point. It, 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 they have, you know, management there has made it clear, at least to me that the, um, that's the priority, and it's less about sort of trying to get people to tune in live, um, well, you know, in a certain uh, morning or day or or night spot. Um, yeah. But both of us, you know, we worked with a lot of people, though, who were very, very similar. Like, they, they loved the medium. You know what it was? That's what, like, the, the passion was, um, you know, whether it was you or Bob and that— Um, podcasting is great and it it has its sort of own unique thing, but man, there is something, I don't know. There's some kind of juice, or at least there was a juice to me about, you know, it's, it's, it's five fifteen. everything you're saying is live. You know, people at least somewhere are listening and reacting
4: to it. That was a cool thing. Yeah. No, look, I I love radio and, and I get like what they're doing now. Um, they're just trying to find a business model that works. Uh, I think they're just trying to keep, they're just trying to keep the, keep the lights on. And so you know, best of luck to them. Um, and I've got to say, you know, in terms of my own life, I, I, the one thing I don't miss really is, you know, having to talk about the Leafs five nights a week. Um, I'm okay with that. Uh, it's, you know, that's, uh, through the, you know, the course of a long hockey season and a, a generally a very short playoff. Um, uh, I'm okay not doing that anymore, but there were moments, you know, the, you know, the adrenaline. And I, I say this, you know, as a writer where I get great pleasure as a writer, it's hard work to, um, I, I've, you know, kind of learned to appreciate, you know, whatever we call, you know, television isn't television, but that, that kind of production, documentary production, understanding the, 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 the ins and outs of that I, and the creativity involved in that. But man, there's nothing like being on the radio when something, when a story breaks, when you're the, Absolutely. when you're the, and, and you say the lights on and you have to react to it, and you know that people are coming. In those days, you knew that people were coming to you, saying, "Holy smokes, look! This just happened. What's it mean? Look, you know, let's hear from the people involved." It it was the best. It it was the best, yeah. and uh, I just don't think there's an, an equivalent anymore. Which, like, I know, you know, you, I, I, you know, Twitter's the equivalent, or something's the equivalent, but. It's different, though. Different, though, yeah.
2: Very different. Yeah, and, and again, I came on the tail end. I mean, the 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 sort of the glory years of, of McCowan and you were before me, but even I got a little bit of a taste of that in, in 2018 and 2019. And really, there was, you know what, for as many times as people might have said very, very nice things about my writing and other stuff, there was really nothing like, the immediate uh, there was nothing if you if I if I had seen someone in Toronto who, who just by chance sort of recognized me because we were simulcast on TV like you can just the intimacy of how they felt about your conversations in sports at least to me were very different than my feedback in writing and and that's unique oh yeah and that um that me podcasting does have a little bit of that I, for sure and you can feel connected to a podcast or a podcast host but it's the immediacy of radio is still different even than that,
4: at least. For it's me. a really, yeah, there's a different relationship with the audience. There is there, an intimacy to it that it, it's, which is, you know, and, and I know sometimes we were on television as well, but it's not about that. It's, 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 but it's, <laughs> it's that voice connection. It's funny. Look, if somebody comes up to me in the grocery store, you know, and again, this is going to happen less and less frequently. I understand that. But if somebody comes up to me, in the grocery store yeah. and wants to talk. It's invariably based on me being on that show. That's the yeah, people. Yeah. People have I, the reason yeah. I
2: laugh when you said we were on television is like that. That's the last time my kids thought I was famous uh, because you know <laughs> it's been a long time yeah. now, and so they're so I'm a nobody
4: now, yeah, yeah, but.
2: um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen Brunt is uh one of Canada's most well known sports voices. You've heard him um, on different mediums for many, many, many years. If you live in the country of Canada, obviously, an award winning writer. His latest book is Playing the Long Game. Written with Christine Sinclair, the iconic Canadian women's soccer writer. As well as his uh, book, Now Out in the United States. So head to Amazon, you can get it. All roads home, a life on and off the ice. That is uh, Brian Trottier's story. And again, for those of us who uh, grew up in New York uh, during the Islanders' heyday, uh, just an absolutely incredible player. Obviously went to Pittsburgh after that, but uh, a really, really fascinating player. Steve man it's uh, it's good to hear your voice it's good to catch up and um, chat because it's been a bit I wish you uh, nothing but uh, success I know if you know if I talk to you let's say this time next year you'll probably have two more books out on two more people so we can uh, we can catch up what is next for you other than uh, at least a little bit of rest from uh, the the, the, uh, the two books that are yeah out
4: there. I, I've got a bunch of projects that uh, are gonna kick in in the new year um, mostly yeah but invo- well let's say content what do we call it now yeah I'm a content creator right
2: content Yeah, I gotta so yeah, make all. some content
4: uh, that's my plan and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go fishing a lot that, those are my two plans <laughs>
2: cool. lovely well sounds nice sounds nice relaxing
4: Stephen Brunt thank you very
2: much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast alright good talking to you Richard alright back in the studio my thanks to Tara Sloan and Stephen Brunt uh, an all Canadian Sports Media Podcast but uh, two great people and uh really interesting and thoughtful people and i hope you enjoyed that conversation if you head to the archives um there should be some things you liked if you were a fan of for the work of grant wall you could head back to the podcast we did with uh john wertheim jeff perlman and mark Moravik, three longtime friends and colleagues of grant wall and uh we reminisced about his life uh tj quinn was on not too long ago talking about britney Griner's return to the US we've done obviously a number of things on Fox's World's Cup coverage uh, and then some uh, uh, stuff again uh, around the NFL and Candace Parker again just head to the archives hopefully it'll be something that uh, you'll appreciate and enjoy uh, reviews are always great five star reviews and a nice note keep this podcast going so thank you for uh, thank you for all of those I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work and thanks to everybody Kane's 13 mostly thanks to you for listening happy holidays to everyone and we'll see you soon on sports media